0: Chapter Ten of Domestic Manners of the Americans by Francis Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: Removal to the Country. Walk in the Forest. Equality. At length, my wish of obtaining a house in the country was gratified. A very pretty cottage, the residence of a gentleman who was removing into town for the convenience of his business as a lawyer, was to let, and I immediately secured it. It was situated in a little village about a mile and a half from the town, close to the foot of the hills formerly mentioned as the northern boundary of it. We found ourselves much more comfortable here than in the city. The house was pretty and commodious, our sitting-rooms were cool and airy, we had got rid of the detestable mosquitoes, and we had an ice-house that never failed beside all this we had the pleasure of gathering our tomatoes from our own garden and receiving our milk from our own cow our manner of life was infinitely more to my taste than before it gave us all the privileges of rusticity which are fully as incompatible with a residence in a little town of western america as with a residence in london we lived on terms of primeval intimacy with our cow for if we lay down on our lawn she did not scruple to take a sniff at the book we were reading, but then she gave us her own sweet breath in return. The verge of the cool-looking forest that rose opposite our windows was so near, that we often used it as an extra drawing-room, and there was no one to wonder if we went out with no other preparation than our parasols, carrying books and work enough to while away a long summer day in the shade. The meadow that divided us from it was covered with a fine short grass, that continued for a little way under the trees, making a beautiful carpet, while sundry logs and stumps furnished our sofas and tables. But even this was not enough to satisfy us when we first escaped from the city, and we determined upon having a day's enjoyment of the wildest forest scenery we could find so we packed up books albums pencils and sandwiches and despite a burning sun dragged up a hill so steep that we sometimes fancied we could rest ourselves against it by only leaning forward a little in panting and in groaning we reached the top hoping to be refreshed by the purest breath of heaven but to have tasted the breath of heaven we must have climbed yet farther even to the tops of the trees themselves for we soon found that the air beneath them stirred not nor ever had stirred, as it seemed to us, since first it settled there, so heavily did it weigh upon our lungs. Still we were determined to enjoy ourselves, and forward we went, crunching knee-deep through aboriginal leaves, hoping to reach some spot less perfectly air-tight than our landing-place. Wearied with the fruitless search, we decided on reposing a while on the trunk of a fallen tree being all considerably exhausted the idea of sitting down on this tempting log was conceived and executed simultaneously by the whole party and the whole party sunk together through its treacherous surface into a mass of rotten rubbish that had formed part of the pith and marrow of the eternal forest a hundred years before we were by no means the only sufferers by the accident frogs lizards locusts katydids beetles and hornets had the whole of their various tenements disturbed and testified their displeasure very naturally by annoying us as much as possible in return we were bit we were stung we were scratched and when at last we succeeded in raising ourselves from the venerable ruin we presented as woeful a spectacle as can well be imagined we shook our not ambrosial garments And panting with heat stings and vexation moved a few paces from the scene of our misfortune and again sat down but this time it was upon the solid earth we had no sooner began to chew the cud of the bitter fancy that had beguiled us to these mountain solitudes than a new annoyance assailed us a cloud of mosquitoes gathered round and while each sharp proboscis sucked our blood they teased us with their humming chorus till we lost all patience and started again on our feet, pretty firmly resolved never to try the alfresco joys of an American forest again. The sun was now in its meridian splendor, but our homeward path was short and downhill. So again, packing up our preparations for felicity, we started homeward—or, more properly speaking we started for in looking for an agreeable spot in this dungeon forest we had advanced so far from the verge of the hill that we had lost all trace of the precise spot where we had entered it nothing was to be seen but multitudes of tall slender melancholy stems as like as peas and standing within a foot of each other the ground as far as the eye could reach which certainly was not far was covered with an unvaried bed of dried leaves No trace, no track, no trail, as Mr. Cooper would call it, gave us a hint which way to turn, and having paused for a moment to meditate, we remembered that chance must decide for us at last, so we set forward, in no very good mood, to encounter new misfortunes. We walked about a quarter of a mile, and coming to a steep descent we thought ourselves extremely fortunate, and began to scramble down, nothing doubting that it was the same we had scrambled up in truth nothing could be more like but alas things that are like are not the same when we had slipped and stumbled down to the edge of the wood and were able to look beyond it we saw no pretty cottage with the shadow of its beautiful acacias coming forward to meet us all was different and what was worse all was distant from the spot where we had hoped to be We had come down the opposite side of the ridge, and now had to win our weary way a distance of three miles round its base. I believe we shall none of us ever forget that walk. The bright, glowing, furnace-like heat of the atmosphere seemed to scorch as I recall it. It was painful to tread, it was painful to breathe, it was painful to look round, every object glowed with the reflection of the fierce tyrant that glared upon us from above. We got home alive, which agreeably surprised us; and when our parched tongues again found power of utterance, we promised each other faithfully never to propose any more parties of pleasure in the grim, store like forests of Ohio. We were now in daily expectation of the arrival of mr T----, but day after day, and week after week, passed, till we began to fear some untoward circumstance might delay his coming till the spring at last when we had almost ceased to look out for him on the road which led from the town he arrived late at night by that which leads across the country from Pittsburgh. the pleasure we felt at seeing him was greatly increased by his bringing with him our eldest son which was a happiness we had not hoped for our walks and our drives now became doubly interesting The young men, fresh from a public school, found America so totally unlike all the nations with which their reading had made them acquainted, that it was indeed a new world to them. Had they visited Greece or Rome, they would have encountered objects with whose images their minds had been long acquainted. Or had they travelled to France or Italy, they would have seen only what daily conversation had already rendered familiar. But at our public schools, America except perhaps as to her geographical position, is hardly better known than Fairyland, and the American character has not been much more deeply studied than that of the anthropophagi. All therefore was new, and everything amusing. The extraordinary familiarity of our poor neighbours startled us at first, and we hardly knew how to receive their uncouth advances, or what was expected of us in return. However, it sometimes produced some very laughable scenes. Upon one occasion two of my children set off upon an exploring walk up the hills. They were absent rather longer than we expected, and the rest of our party determined upon going out to meet them. We knew the direction they had taken, but thought that it would be as well to inquire at a little public-house at the bottom of the hill if such a pair had been seen to pass. A woman, whose appearance more resembled a covent-garden market-woman than anything else I can remember, came out and answered my question with the most jovial good-humour in the affirmative, and prepared to join us in our search. Her look, her voice, her manner, were so exceedingly coarse and vehement that she almost frightened me. She passed her arm within mine, and to the inexpressible amusement of my young people she dragged me on, talking and questioning me without ceasing. She lived but a short distance from us, and I am sure intended to be a very good neighbour, but her violent intimacy made me dread to pass her door. My children, including my sons, she always addressed by their Christian names, excepting when she substituted the word honey. This familiarity of address, however, I afterwards found was universal throughout all ranks in the United States. My general appellation amongst my neighbours was the old Englishwoman, but in mentioning each other they constantly employed the term lady, and they evidently had a pleasure in using it, for I repeatedly observed that in speaking of a neighbour, instead of saying Mrs. Such-a-One, they described her as the lady over the way what takes in washing, or as that there lady out by the gully what is making dip-candles. Mr. Trollope was as constantly called the old man, while draymen, Butcher's Boys, and the labourers on the canal were invariably denominated them gentlemen. Nay, we once saw one of the most gentlemanlike men in Cincinnati introduce a fellow in dirty shirt-sleeves and all sorts of detestable etc. to one of his friends with this formula. D. Let me introduce this gentleman to you our respective titles certainly were not very important but the eternal shaking hands with these ladies and gentlemen was really an annoyance and the more so as the near approach of the gentlemen was always redolent of whisky and tobacco but the point where this republican equality was the most distressing was in the long and frequent visitations that it produced no one dreams of fastening a door in western america I was told that it would be considered as an affront by the whole neighbourhood. I was thus exposed to perpetual and most vexatious interruptions from people whom I had often never seen, and whose names still oftener were unknown to me. Those who are native there, and to the manner born, seem to pass over these annoyances with more skill than I could ever acquire. More than once I have seen some of my acquaintance beset in the same way, without appearing at all distressed by it, they continued their employment or conversation with me much as if no such interruption had taken place when the visitor entered they would say how do you do and shake hands tolerable i thank ye how be you was the reply if it was a female she took off her hat if a male he kept it on and then taking possession of the first chair in their way they would retain it for an hour together without uttering another word at length rising abruptly they would again shake hands with Well, now, I must be going, I guess, and so take themselves off, apparently well contented with their reception. I could never attain this philosophical composure. I could neither write nor read, and I always fancied I must talk to them. I will give the minutes of a conversation which I once set down after one of their visits, as a specimen of their tone and manner of speaking and thinking. My visitor was a milkman. "'Well, now, so ye be from the old country. Ay, you'll see sights here, I guess.' "'I hope I shall see many.' "'That's a fact. I expect your little place of an island don't grow such dreadful fine corn as you sees here. Corn always means Indian corn, or maize.' "'It grows no corn at all, sir?' "'Possible. No wonder, then, that we read such awful stories in the papers of your poor people being starved to death.' We have wheat, however. Aye, for your rich folks, but I calculate the poor seldom gets a belly full. You have certainly much greater abundance here. I expect so. Why, they do say that if a poor body contrives to be smart enough to scrape together a few dollars, that your King George always comes down upon him and takes it all away. Don't he? I do not remember hearing of such a transaction. I guess they'd be pretty close about it. "'Your papers be'n't like our'n I record. Now we says and prints just what we likes.' "'You spend a good deal of time in reading the newspapers.' "'And I'd like you to tell me how we can spend it better. How should freemen spend their time at looking after their government, and watching that them fellers as we gives offices to do's their duty, and gives themselves no airs but I sometimes think, sir, that your fences might be in more thorough repair, and your roads in better order, if less time was spent in politics." "'The Lord! to see how little you knows of a free country! Why, what's the smoothness of a road put against the freedom of a free-born American? And what does a broken zigzag signify, comparable to knowing that the men we have been pleased to send up to Congress speaks handsome and straight, as we chooses they should?' it is from a sense of duty then that you all go to the liquor store to read the papers to be sure it is and he'd be no true born american as didn't i don't say that the father of a family should always be after liquor but i do say that i'd rather have my son drunk three times a week than not look after the affairs of his country our autumn walks were delightful the sun ceased to scorch the want of flowers was no longer peculiar to ohio and the trees took a colouring which in richness brilliance and variety exceeded all description i think it is the maple or sugar-tree that first sprinkles the forest with rich crimson the beech follows with all its harmony of golden tints from pale yellow up to the brightest orange the dogwood gives almost the purple colour of the mulberry The chestnut softens all with its frequent mass of delicate brown, and the sturdy oak carries its deep green into the very lap of winter. These tints are too bright for the landscape painter. The attempt to follow nature in an American autumn scene must be abortive. The colours are in reality extremely brilliant, but the medium through which they are seen increases the effect surprisingly. Of all the points in which America has the advantage of England, the one I felt most sensibly was the clearness and brightness of the atmosphere. By day and by night this exquisite purity of air gives tenfold beauty to every object. I could hardly believe the stars were the same. The great Bear looked like a constellation of suns, and Jupiter justified all the fine things said of him in those beautiful lines from I-know-not-what spirited pen, beginning, I looked on thee, Jove, till my gaze shrunk, smote by the power of thy blaze. I always remarked that the first silver line of the moon's crescent attracted the eye on the first day in America, as strongly as it does here on the third. I observed another phenomenon in the crescent moon of that region, the cause of which I less understood. That appearance which Shakespeare describes as the new moon with the old moon in her lap, and which I have heard ingeniously explained as the effect of earth-light, was less visible there than here. Kuyp's clearest landscapes have an atmosphere that approaches nearer to that of America than any I remember on canvas, but even Kuyp's air cannot reach the lungs, and therefore can only give an idea of half the enjoyment, for it makes itself felt as well as seen, and is indeed a constant source of pleasure. Our walks were, however, curtailed in several directions by my old Cincinnati enemies, the pigs. Immense droves of them were continually arriving from the country by the road that led to most of our favourite walks. They were often fed and lodged in the prettiest valleys, and worse still were slaughtered beside the prettiest streams. Another evil threatened us from the same quarter that was yet heavier. Our cottage had an ample piazza a luxury almost universal in the country-houses of America, which, shaded by a group of acacias, made a delightful sitting-room. From this favourite spot we one day perceived symptoms of building in a field close to it. With much anxiety, we hastened to the spot, and asked what building was to be erected there. "'Tis to be a slaughter-house for hogs," was the dreadful reply. As there were several gentlemen's houses in the neighbourhood, I asked if such an erection might not be indicted as a nuisance. A what? A nuisance, I repeated, and explained what I meant. No, no, was the reply. That may do very well for your tyrannical country, where a rich man's nose is more thought of than a poor man's mouth. But hogs be profitable produce here, and we be too free for such a law as that, I guess. During my residence in America, little circumstances like the foregoing often recall to my mind a conversation i once held in france with an old gentleman on the subject of their active police and its omnipresent gendarmerie croyez-moi madame il n'y a que ceux à qui ils ont affaire qui les trouvent de trop and the old gentleman was right not only in speaking of france but of the whole human family as philosophers call us The well-disposed, those whose own feeling of justice would prevent their annoying others, will never complain of the restraints of the law. All the freedom enjoyed in America, beyond what is enjoyed in England, is enjoyed solely by the disorderly, at the expense of the orderly, and were I a stout knight, either of the sword or of the pen, I would fearlessly throw down my gauntlet and challenge the whole republic to prove the contrary but being as i am a feeble looker-on with a needle for my spear and i talk for my device i must be contented with the power of stating the fact perfectly certain that i shall be contradicted by one loud shout from maine to georgia chapter ten